There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We are lawyers, mothers, and hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Just as we differ in political philosophy, we've arranged our lives in very different ways, from our careers to where we live to our choices around marriage and family. But we have more in common than divides us. In a world that increasingly defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. Choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Nuance Life. Thank you for joining us. We want to mention that we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash The Nuance Life, where for $5 a month, you can enjoy an extra episode, a whole extra episode, usually by video. This month, we have recorded an entire video about holiday planning. Don't get scared. It was good. Like jam-packed full of tips Mm -hmm. kind of discussion Mm -hmm. that we think you'll enjoy. And we would love for everybody to get in the comments on that and share your best tips. And we're all just going to have much easier, less stressed out fourth quarter moments. That's how I feel about it. Yep, I agree. I agree. So today, as always, we're going to begin with commemorations. And then for our main topic, we are going to talk about raising children and having conversations with kids. So even if you're not a parent, we hope this will be a relevant conversation for you in light of the Brett Kavanaugh hearings as the entire country is having a discussion about drinking and sexual assault and boys will be boys kind of culture. We want to get into that a little bit here and then we'll end as always with something that we hope will leave you inspired for the rest of the week. So first off, we have a commemoration from Nicole. She says, I've got a commemoration about career and life to share. I work for an online program at a local university. On Friday, I went to work as the program director. Today, the following Monday, I came to work as a regular faculty member, the role I held before being director, and I will begin helping a coworker adapt to her new role as program director. This change was initiated by me, and it means I am relinquishing certain responsibilities and returning to a slightly lower salary range. Being program director was not necessarily something I aspired to, but I agreed to take on the role when the opportunity opened. Looking back on the three years that I was director, I'll be the first to admit that I got out of my comfort zone, picked up new skills, and strengthened a few of my weaknesses. I also learned a lot about myself, gaining perspective I couldn't have obtained by any other method. One thing I learned is that I don't enjoy being in that type of position, and no amount of time would change that. Despite being patient with myself while I was learning, getting feedback from others that I was doing a good job, and recognizing for myself that I was performing well, I couldn't deny the fact that it felt like I had gone one step beyond where I actually flourish as an individual. Admitting this was difficult but eye-opening. I realized that although I was an adequate director in my term, which did not have to come to an end today, the role now needs to be filled by someone who will lead and direct the program in a different way, the way our students, collaborators, and other faculty really needed this time. This event could be seen as a demotion, passing the buck, or even failure. Instead, I acknowledge that the program will benefit under this new direction. I feel an incredible sense of relief knowing that I am giving myself permission to dedicate mind, space, time, and effort to focus on what will allow me to thrive. 
Thank you, Sarah and Beth, for encouraging us to expand on the meaning of a life event and to be more open-minded about what is worth celebrating and why. That perspective has allowed me to feel even more confident in this change, which could easily be interpreted as a step backwards career rise, but is something I feel is absolutely right for me. Nicole, there is so much wisdom in this message. I don't even know where to begin. To be able to understand that careers aren't linear, that your career should serve you, not the other way around. I feel like so many of us are busy serving our careers instead of allowing them to serve us. I just think this is phenomenal, and I'm so happy for you. I think it's so true. It reminds me of when I came to the realization I don't like to have bosses because I just think there's so many messages we send all everybody, but particularly women, about job and career. Everybody gets the message that you only go up. And I think, you know, there are other messages that I think just primarily women get. And I always got the message like good people can be a follower and and underneath somebody and contribute to the team and blah, blah, blah. And my husband was like, it's okay that you don't flourish in that situation. Like there's nothing, it's not a character flaw. And I think being able to just take a moment and say, I learned, I gained from this, but it's not best for me is, that is a life skill right there. It is. Understanding that growth doesn't necessarily mean more money, higher prestige, supervising more people, that you can sometimes just grow best by deepening in a position instead of moving forward. So I think this is so awesome and takes such maturity, Nicole. So congratulations. Mm -hmm. We also heard from Renee, who says, My husband and I are thrilled to be one step closer to offering a home to refugee kids taken at the border. Two weeks ago, we completed our foster parent college training, and one week ago, we completed the four-hour home inspection and family review. We are now anxiously awaiting to hear if the grant will be approved. The hope that we could offer these children a home until they are placed with their sponsor families has filled us with excitement that we can hardly contain. Our celebrating will certainly be in full force once we get the green light, and I'll be sure to touch base with you both again once we get the good news. And Renee shared a blog post that she wrote about this experience. I'm so happy that Renee and her family are doing this. It's an incredible sacrifice Mm -hmm. um, and also something that I think will be very rewarding for their family. So thank you, Renee. We also heard from Ryan. I wanted to share my commemoration with you guys. Next week, I'll be going back to work after 14 weeks of maternity leave with my second son. I've got a lot of mixed emotions about it, but I know it's the right decision for me. I love my job, and I'm looking forward to going back and having adult conversations again. I am so grateful to have had this time at home with my new baby and his two-year-old brother. I believe the first few months with a new baby are so important for both mother and baby. I can't imagine having to go back to work after six weeks or less after giving birth like so many working women do. Those first few weeks, so much about healing and just trying to keep your head above water, but I would have been a hot mess if I had to go back so soon. The weeks that have followed, I've really been able to bond with my son as well as spend some quality time with my firstborn, who has also had to adjust to his new role as big brother. I'm so grateful to work for a company that provides some paid maternity leave and is supportive of me taking this time off. If I've learned anything from my time off, it is that maternity leave situation in our country needs to be changed. The amount of surprise almost everyone showed when I mentioned I was taking 14 weeks has shined a light on this issue for me. I don't think the norm should be a quick return to work, and I recognize my privilege in being able to take this time off and do not judge anyone that is quicker to get back to work, whether it be based on need or want. I just hope that one day mothers will not be rushed back to work because unpaid FMLA leave is the only option that most cannot afford to take. I have seen firsthand at my own company how improvement in this area can increase morale, decrease turnover, and benefit the bottom line for a business. I will be going back to work confident in my decision to remain a working mom, but so thankful for my time at home with my boys. Thank you for giving me an outlet to commemorate this transition. Woo! All the praise hands for that one. 
Amen, Ryan. I gave a speech not long ago about how I wish that in Kentucky we would value our babies as much as our basketball and give people an appropriate amount of time to be off from their work. And I think this is something that every state needs to get on. And I also just love that you see it as a commemoration to go back to work because that is a change for our children that I think we pour so much effort into. It's a huge change for us to just Learning to have your brain in so many places in the course of one day is a big deal. So good luck, Ryan. We also heard from Karen, who says, I'd like to commemorate yesterday as the day I became mother to three adult daughters. I thought I gave birth to two unique and brilliant daughters and then an honest, analytical, quiet, intelligent son. Yesterday, my third child shared with me her desire to be seen as a woman. In this time of Me Too, Kavanaugh, and everything else that makes being a woman challenging, I am terrified for my daughter and the additional challenges of being a trans woman. But I am also so honored and proud to be one of the first people she has felt safe talking about it. But I am also so honored and proud to be one of the first people she felt safe talking to about it. I asked her whether she'd like me to stop referring to her as my son and if she had another name she would like me to use. Shyly, she told me the name she had selected. Her new name, Alice, was also the name of my favorite deceased grandmother, someone my daughter never met and didn't realize had the name. It made me feel her great-grandmother would be there in another dimension, watching over and supporting her. I've always felt it must be challenging for trans people to feel they are in the wrong body, but never knew it would impact one of my children. My daughter shared with me that I actually bought her first dress for her since I gave her a gift card for her birthday, and that is what she used it for. I'm overjoyed that I could support her first steps in that way. As a mother, I am commemorating the need to always continue evolving in how I can support my children as adults as they become most fully who they are. Late last night, I also thought of Sarah's sadness over not having a daughter when I realized that I had never known I would feel a sense of sadness in losing a son as I gained a new daughter. But I do. I love all my children incredibly and have always wanted for them to be completely and fully themselves and to find their own happiness. I'm commemorating and renewing that ongoing, never-ending wish and dream today as a new mother of three daughters. Ooh, that one made me cry. When she said, I'm so happy that she felt safe telling me, that's all I want as a mother. That's the only thing I want. I just want my children to feel like they're always safe telling me things like that. Oh, my gosh. Mm. I love the way that you have processed this for yourself, Karen, and how wonderful that you've embraced your daughter in this Mm -hmm. way. And I just wish all the best for you and your family. I think this is One of the most beautiful messages that we could have received about this kind of change in a family. So we also got a message from Mike. We're just we're continuing the theme of gender roles here, and I'm here for it. He says, we got the first call from daycare saying, come pick up your child since our nine-month-old started daycare. But the commemoration is that they called me first and not my wife. As we have asked, I have the more flexible schedule, and that my office didn't blink when I packed up and left for the day with no warning in the afternoon. We are thankful for daycare providers who listen and for flexible, supportive workplaces. Amen, Mike. Good for you, Mike. I love everything about that. We also heard from Megan, who said five and a half years ago, my first baby was born. Since basically my own childhood, I had been told by my own family the only way to be a mom was to be a stay-at-home mom, so I just assumed that's what I would do. When my little guy stormed into the world five weeks early, I abruptly ended my teaching career with absolutely no plans of what would come next, other than being home with my kid and eventually kids. 
It did not take me long to realize that this gig was not a good fit for me personally. But years of (laughs) believing that if I didn't want to be home with my kids meant that I didn't love my kids enough. Yes, for a long time, I really did struggle with my actually believing this prevented me from doing anything different. It took me three years to be okay with going back to work part time and two more before I figured out what it was that was going to come next. I've had many different jobs in the last five years, some part time, some contract, some full time. But I finally realized that I am the happiest when I am doing my work to do, as you both often say. My work to do is teaching. I've always known that. I don't know why it took me so long to come back around. So I want to commemorate not only that I have started a new school year with a team I adore teaching what I love, but also that after five years, I finally feel good about my choice. I just started a graduate program to earn an additional certification so that I am able to specialize in the field of education I love most. And most importantly, I am not constantly looking at my decision and questioning if it was the right one. I know, at least for now, that this is the right one for me. I've been blessed with a gift to teach little people, and I am so much happier when I am aligning my life with my gifts. I can still be a great mom to my two biological kids and my two foster kids as a working parent, and I am thankful to role models like you both who have been a living example to counter the one I grew up with. In fact, I am a much better and happier mom when the work I do is important to me. It feels amazing to finally be in this place and it definitely feels worth commemorating. I love her sentence about aligning her life with her gifts. Our people are the best people. That's right. And I want to share, that is how I talk to my daughters about questions about moms who don't work and moms who do work outside the home. So whenever I get that question of like, why does so-and-so's mom not have a job like you do? And especially before I was home more often, you know, why aren't you here when I get off the bus, but so-and-so's mom is. I always talked about it in terms of talents. You know, you know, the, the sitter that you stay with, her talent is coming up with fun things for you to do and managing lots of you together in one place and creating this atmosphere that's really fun for you and your friends. That's not mommy's talent. I'm not good at that. Here's what I'm good at. I'm good at helping grownups. And we talk through that and she always gets it. You know, and then and then that leaves you space to say, so when you're an adult, you'll figure out what your talents are and what you want to do with your time. All right. Thank you, as always. I mean, these are my favorite emails we get all week. I'm just going to be real with y'all. I love the commemorations. I think they are. It's such a it's just it's just a constant flow of wisdom and insight. And those are my those are my favorite things to be in conversation with people about or changes in their lives and how they're dealing with them and how they're thinking about themselves in a whole new way. So it's just it's my favorite thing. Next up, we're going to be talking about raising kids, especially in light of the Kavanaugh hearing, how we're all talking about gender and sex and all these things with our kids as the news cycle gets more intense. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Experience full plates and fuller wallets with America's best value meal kit. 
Meal kit services are well known these days, but every plate stands out because of its affordable price point. Enjoy amazing chef-designed meals for just $4.99 per serving. Think of it this way, one meal is the same price as one cup of coffee. Every plate dinners are the cheaper, healthier alternative to takeout or delivery. I just made for my family every plate's sweet and tangy pork recipe with rice and red pepper. It had such fresh ingredients. It looked beautiful when it was finished. You guys, it was really fast and easy. Sometimes I feel like meal kit services, I start to look at the instructions and think, if I didn't cook, I couldn't do this. This meal, if you don't cook, you can do this. It was really delicious. The pork had a really nice kind of crust on it that I think can be difficult to get, but the instructions were so clearly communicated that it was easy to follow. Lots of fun and a big hit in my house. Get meals you'll enjoy and your bank account will love delivered right to your door. For 50% off your first box of every plate, go to everyplate.com and enter the promo code LIFE. That's like getting two dinners for the price of one pumpkin spice latte. Go to everyplate.com and enter the promo code LIFE for 50% off your first box today. It felt important to talk about all of the cultural issues surrounding Brett Kavanaugh's hearing, especially because of a comment you made, Sarah, on Pantsuit Politics that got a lot of attention. You talked about how frustrated you are as a mother of boys hearing people say, well, aren't you scared for your sons that someone could just ruin their life with a lie? And people really responded to that. And it seemed like an important place to pick up the conversation here. Well, I'm a little less angry all to everybody's benefit. (laughs) I've had some, I've done some meditation since then, so I'm not quite as riled as I was on pantsu politics, but it did happen yesterday. My my own father kind of came at me with, well, what if this happened to your husband? As a mother of three boys, I get a lot of, well, what about your sons? And there's so many levels of this that upset me. The, The first is, I feel like what people are saying to me is, I know you have all these feminist concerns, but wouldn't you subsume them in the face of your role as supporting these men in your life? That's the first thing that really makes me angry about it. It's sort of this, yes, but the most important thing in your life are these these men and boys. So wouldn't you just be devastated if something like this or some, a false accusation happened to them? So that bugs me that I would just subsume everything to, to you know, being a wife and a mother is hugely important to me. It's not the, the totality of my identity. The second thing is, I don't believe this to be a false accusation, so that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. And the other thing I said on the podcast is, I don't raise my boys, and I'm certainly not going to have conversations with them about consent and sexuality driven by concerns about false accusations. That is, in in the most generous statistical interpretation, about 10% of cases. And that's, again, the most generous. Sometimes they put the estimate about 2% of cases. And so in the same way that I won't, Every time they go out the door, I don't say, oh, my God, be careful. Don't get kidnapped or hit by a car. Like, because those are those are not, especially being kidnapped. And it's like a once in a million chance. So I don't, I try to vary when I'm afraid of something. I try to think very carefully about, we've talked about on this podcast before, about the actual risk of that. Like the statistical risk, not the intensity, how bad that would be or the intensity of my fear surrounding that. And also, I just don't, especially with, issues of sex and consent, I don't want to set up a situation with my boys in which I'm presenting an idea of the world in that you deserve to always be treated fairly 
And that is what should happen to you. You will always be, you know, nothing unfortunate or chaotic or unfair will happen to you. And so just, you know, that that would be the worst possible thing is if somebody false, if there was a false accusation against you. And I, I, don't, I just think it's an, it's an orientation to the world, particularly with regards to sex, that I don't want to give my boys. Unf- they know the world is unfair. The world is chaotic. Bad things will happen to them that I can neither prevent nor they can control. That's just that's what we signed up for when we're human beings. And I'd rather talk to them about a much more likely scenario um, in which they encounter a sexual interaction or a sexual conversation where there's sexism or a lack of consent or bullying or all these things. Like that's just more, that's statistically more likely. I'd I'd rather orient them to the reality they are more likely to face instead of instill fear in them that they might be falsely accused and perpetuate the narrative that what they need to be concerned about is women out trying to destroy their lives. I just, I'm not, I'm not here for it. I'm not here for it. I also think that we need to have a real inward look when we talk about these things destroying lives. This is a drum I've beaten relentlessly on Pantsy Politics, and I won't reiterate it here about Brett Kavanaugh, but I want my children to understand that throughout their careers, all kinds of things that feel unjust will happen to them. Mm-hmm. And personal lives. And People in their break personal up with lives. You. They're going to be jerked. They're just going to ghost. It's going to happen. Those are not things that destroy one's life. You are in mm-hmm. charge of your life. I think Monica Lewinsky is such a beautiful example of Seriously. this. Seriously. Because here is someone who was absolutely dragged through the mud completely against her own will. She's right about being patient zero of online bullying. Mm -hmm. And despite all of that, Monica Lewinsky is living a very inspirational life today because Mm -hmm. she made these choices for herself. And she said, all I can do is accept what's happened to me and work with it from there. And, And she's doing it. And when we are all as a country talking about how we don't want to ruin Louis C.K.'s life, I think, just look over at Monica Lewinsky. Like, she's doing fine, and she has been through something that is not close to what someone like Louis C.K. is experiencing. And I just think we can we can send messages that are more resilient to each other in a way that would be very, very helpful. I cannot, as their parent, control unfair things happening to them. I can only control their reaction to it. So a few, it was probably a few years ago, I watched the 30 for 30 on the Duke lacrosse case, which was absolutely a case of false accusation. I lived at Duke at the time, and I was like, oh, they definitely did it. No, they didn't do it. And they got totally railroaded by the justice system. In many cases, the, the worst nightmare that people are talking about with false accusations And there's one of the players in particular, and he has decided to go into law and criminal justice, I think, in particular. And he talks about, like, what I learned is that this happens to people all the time, not necessarily false accusations with regards to sexual assault, but false convictions, overly charging crimes they didn't commit, all these things. They get railroaded by the criminal justice system, and they don't have the resources that I do to fight it. And I thought, I hope those parents, I am proud of that child. I I can't imagine how proud I would be if he was my son to say, 
the important part of this is that, oh my God, there's all these women lurking and one of them got me. It isn't that unfair. It was, you know, this this woman did what she did for a lot of really sad reasons and this happens to people all the time and they don't have the resources I have and I want to go out and help the people who were affected by a similar situation but can't defend themselves or don't have the resources. I just thought that what that's the reaction I would like to see. When I think about false accusations, I think with regards to my boys, I think I hope I teach them to be resilient. I have better resources than most and I hope they come away understanding. And I think it's like, what I hope they take away from any suffering, which is life is unfair and suffering can be a source of growth and strength and empowerment and a passion to help other people. And, you know, that's what I think about with all sorts of suffering. And I don't I don't necessarily distinguish and think get all fired up when I think specifically about false accusations. My friend Kathy really taught me to internalize the phrase, this is not the last day. Mm, that's good. Around all kinds of decision making. And I think that that is true. So accepting for the sake of argument that it is possible that every boy is going to at some point be accused of something he didn't do. I, I don't accept that premise. Mm-hmm. But accepting mm-hmm. it for the sake of argument that that is a legitimate risk about which we should all be concerned I think the lesson for our kids then is that won't be the last day. Mm-hmm. And the question is, who are you going to be during that day? And who do you right. want to be tomorrow? And how you handle these things is a test of everything that really matters. Even if you lose a job, even if you don't get a promotion, even if you feel like your character has been maligned in the public sphere, it's not the last day. Let me just really own this. As a mother of boys, you know, when we think about not only the impact of these messages on our sons, but the sort of overall impact of these messages, women thinking their most important job is protecting their precious sons is how we got here in the first place, y'all. Let me be as real as I can. Like, The idea that men should not, they're to be protected. They do not need to face consequences. I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's even necessarily with issues of sex, although I think you see it most starkly, but there is this, this presumption of innocence that exists with men that's much stronger, particularly white men, much stronger than with women. I mean, I was telling friends and I was just saying like, I just feel like the currency of privilege in this country is really the benefit of the doubt. The more privilege you have, the more benefit of the doubt you receive. And, you know, when it's when it's an immigrant or a woman or a poor person or a black person, all of a sudden any mistakes they've made are about individual responsibility. People need to take responsibility for their actions and people need to be individually responsible. But all of a sudden, Ms. Brett Kavanaugh... Suddenly, every, well, everybody makes mistakes. People make mistakes. You know, it's like you can see it in the way we talk about this stuff, depending on depending on who we're talking about. And I don't want to teach my boys that. I don't want to teach them that they are deserving of the benefit of the doubt more than anybody else. I believe in the benefit of the doubt. I believe in grace strongly. But it is an equal resource. And we don't teach boys that. <laughs> 
we teach they deserve more of it than other people. And we're hurting them in that process. Mm -hmm. This whole discussion of boys being boys shows that we still don't ultimately believe that this behavior is wrong or hurtful. We say it as though it's wrong or hurtful or instructed. That's right. When I listen to the boys being boys line of defense, I guess you could call it, I think, well, no wonder we have sexual assault and violence severely underreported by people who are part of the LGBTQ community. Because what does boys being boys mean when we're not talking about a male-female dynamic? And what does boys being boys say to my daughters about who they are supposed to be in the world? What would it mean for girls to be girls? I've never heard someone say girls being girls. What would that mean? And I don't think I would like what that would mean if that were a message out there, because I think what it would look like is sort of this acquiescence to a skewed power dynamic that, again, hurts boys. You know, in addition to hurting my daughters, I think that we're really being dishonest with ourselves about how harmful the dynamic we're creating for men is. In the same breath that we're saying that our most important job in life is to protect these men from unfairness. So during the Access Hollywood tape, I wrote a blog post. I'm going to read a section of it, and I'm definitely going to cry. It says, because when you say boys will be boys, you mean my boys. You're implying that there is something dark and carnal lurking deep inside my little boys. The ones I cuddle and hold tight. The ones who hold my heart in their grubby little hands as they run and jump and smile widely up at me. I love you, Mommy. You're saying that they will grow up and become men and become capable of taking something that does not belong to them, of breaking it, of destroying it. I am capable of accepting a lot of things about motherhood. I am capable of facing the vulnerability inherent in this endeavor. I can face the lack of control. I can face the frustration and the bittersweet grief. I can even face the inherent risk of losing them forever. But I cannot and will not accept that deep in their core lurks a rapist. Of course, there is another underlying presumption, which when people say boys will be boys, when you blame the victim for the fact that she was drinking or flirting or being sexual, it's that the boys aren't dark and sinister for taking because you can't take what already belongs to you. I've seen it a million times of men who look at me and comment on how I look or how I walk or how I act, and you can hear it dripping in every word Donald Trump says on that tape. You are here for my enjoyment. You have no value outside of what I assign to you. I laid in my bed and wept because there are the impossible choices available to me as a mother of three young boys in 2016, believe that my children are capable of rapes based solely on their sex, or believe that I have no value because of mine. There is something dark and cruel lurking deep within, but it's not deep within my boys. It's deep within all of us if we continue to support a culture that assumes men are driven to terrible things because they are men and or that women deserve terrible things because they are women. Culture always wins, but culture can change. We can change. And I still feel that way. I still feel like we're facing that same That's my choice. That's the choice available to me as the mother of boys. And I think that's so well said, Sarah. And as you think about what we teach boys about power, the most harmful thing, I think, to especially boys around your boy's age, is that that power means that someone is always lording over them, too. 
Mm-hmm. The Cincinnati Inquirer ran an opinion piece that I did not agree with all of, but my friend Julia sent it to me and I thought it had some really great points. And one of them was that we aren't teaching men to say no to other men either. And I think that is 100% right. If you look at some of the toxicity that happens, especially in workplaces, but all kinds of organizations, in our government, for example, just looking at you, Congress, where men aren't willing to say no to other men because they are so sensitive to power dynamics. When we say you have a certain amount of power and you may wield it over others, that automatically means that someone has that kind of power over you, too. And that is super unhelpful for all of us. A lot of people during the Kavanaugh hearings drew the parallel of the commentary about Serena Williams challenging an umpire during a tennis match and all the comments about her demeanor compared with people who were applauding Brett Kavanaugh's demeanor at so forcefully pushing against what he perceived to be unfairness. And Mm -hmm. I think the issue with Serena Williams is that we don't recognize from a woman standing up and saying, no, this isn't right. But Serena's way of doing it was so much healthier than the mess that we saw from Brett Kavanaugh. Because what Brett Kavanaugh said, if you listened closely to his words and go back and read the transcript, is I am angry that someone is taking this power over me unfairly. And when I have the power again, it will come back around. Mm -hmm. Serena Williams just said, I can't believe you're doing this to me. It's wrong. And then... When she suffered the consequence of the wrongness, said, let's make the best of this. And that is a much healthier way for boys and girls to learn what it means to stand on your feet and deal with things that are unjust coming your way. So I had a conversation with an older male relative, and he said, I just feel like all that old white guy stuff is so bad, and I just feel like I still have value. I feel like I still have something to offer. And it made me really sad. And I thought, of course you do. The problem is you've been told there's only one way to bring value. Like you said, it's all about power. And it's all about economic power or hierarchical power. And that is such a weight around everyone's neck, man. It just is. I completely agree. I completely agree. And I think a really nice way to sum this up is a message that came from Heidi, who was talking about Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka. She said, last night I sat with my 10-year-old daughter and did a deep dive into the videos of the Serena versus Naomi game. There was so much I wanted her to see and learn. Look at Serena. You can be strong, a champion, losing, and never cheat to win. You can use your voice to fight for things that are not fair. You can put your foot down and defend yourself. Sometimes, even when you do not cheat, even if you are famous and the world is watching, you can be treated poorly. We all go through this. Life is not fair. Sometimes we are punished for things that are not our fault. Often we get no apology. Stay on the court. Do not leave in rage. Finish what you started. And then look at Naomi. Play your game. Do not get distracted. Do your best. Play hard till the end. Your practice and determination can make you a winner. Dreams can come true. And then look at Serena and Naomi. It's okay to cry. You can be strong, a champion, and cry. You can feel all the feels at the same time. 
joy to win and sorrow at the circumstances, fury to have lost and compassion and respect for the woman who just beat you. Crying takes nothing away from your dignity or your journey. We all cry and often feel multiple emotions at once. Look at these two champions embracing. They battled on the tennis court, but not in life. They held out their arms and shared this moment together side by side. No booing, no blaming, no backhanded behavior. As women, we stand side by side, crying, cheering, clapping, and struggling. Often, this does not come naturally. This comes with practice. As you endure difficult situations, practice grace and kindness. Then if you are standing on stage being watched by millions, you can answer questions in a way that is smart and seems effortless. Practice kindness. Practice empathy. It's the behavior of champions. I thought that was so wonderful from Heidi. And if we could internalize that, if that could be the new boys as boys and girls as girls, we live in a whole different society. I always think of the Gloria Steinem quote. She says, I'm glad we've begun to raise our daughters more like sons, but it will never work until we raise our sons more like daughters. Let me ask you this. So when you were growing up, did your female relatives say stuff like, well, it's a man's world, just get used to it, that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. So yeah, mine did too. <laughs> and I think, but I think men, a lot of men, don't get the message that you might not be treated fairly. Sometimes it might even be because you're a man. And that's just the way the world works. Like my grandma, I ever had a conversation with my grandmother one time recently, and I've been thinking about it ever since where she, I think I probably even brought it up on the podcast before, where she says, I feel so sorry for people who teach their kids they're the center of the universe because those kids are so miserable when they turn into adults and everyone does not orient themselves around them as if they are the center of the universe. They're just, they're bitter. They're upset about it. And I think for better or for worse, women and minorities and sort of groups on the margins have created narratives deep in their identity that you will not be treated fairly. And here's how you survive. And here are our, here's how we have grit. And here's how we have resilience. And you're not alone. Look around you, all these other women that have been treated unfairly. Like that's very empowering. And I think sometimes we don't give that to men in the same way. We don't say, look, I I, I think sometimes you can see that and you get a little bit of. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. That in like team sports, sometimes the umpire's not going to be your side and like you get a little bit of that. And I, it's definitely, it's not all men. My husband's, God bless my mother-in-law. She lives and dies by the life ain't fair. Get used to it. Like, and so my husband very much orients himself in a world in which things are not going to work. I things I will earn things and not get them. People will treat me unfairly. And like, he is a much more steady presence because of it, because it just doesn't catch him off guard. You know, he's just, he's, he's, he orients himself in life that life is not fair. And I just want that for my boys so badly. I want them to understand. And I wish we did a better job, though, of teaching them. Here's this group. Here, you have you belong to this group that we do value. And you have each other. And you're not going to be treated fairly all the time. And you might people might make assumptions about you because you're a man. And here's how you deal with that. And you're not alone. And like we don't, we don't do a great job of giving them 
the t- there's not consciousness raising sessions for men, although that is a good idea if somebody wants to get on that. Um, but they need that too. They need to understand this is how this is how this man you look up to, and that's you know. Hopefully it's their fathers to a certain extent or other men in their lives that can say, hey, this is how I deal with this. These are the tools I use. This is how I have resilience. This is how I have grit. I mean, I think that's what Gloria Stein is trying to get at when she says we should raise them like daughters because we do give certain groups that, those tools and that empowerment. And sometimes, you know, boys get lifted off the list, I think, when it comes to that. We always end with something inspiring to send you on your way. This came accompanied with a message from someone who has experienced sexual assault in her life. And I thought it was a beautiful way to close out her message to us and a beautiful way to close out today's show. This is from Rumi. One by one, we go in the dark and come out, saying how we experience the animal. One of us happens to touch the trunk, a water pipe kind of creature. Another the ear, a very strong, always moving, back and forth fan animal. Another the leg. I find it still, like a column on a temple. Another touches the curved back, a leathery throne. Another the cleverest feels the tusk, a rounded sword made of porcelain. He is proud of his description. Each of us touches one place and understands the whole that way. The palm and the fingers feeling in the dark are how the senses explore the reality of the elephant. If each of us held a candle there, and if we went in together, we could see it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Nuance Life. We will be back in your ears on Friday over on Pantsuit Politics. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Nuance Life is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. The Nuance Life is listener supported. For $5 a month, you'll receive an extra episode of The Nuance Life at patreon.com slash The Nuance Life. You can connect with us on our website, thenuancelife.com, and follow us on Instagram.